to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning and welcome to RPC. It's so good to be in worship. And today we're going to continue our sermon series looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about what we call nutrition facts. It's, these are not fruits that we strive for, that we work really hard to get. No. We look at the theological seeds that are in our heart that God has planted, and by reflecting on these great truths, we bear fruit, okay? We've looked at love, joy, peace, patience. Last week, we looked at kindness, and today we're going to look at generosity. And usually here in the service, we use the New Revised Standard Version, and they translate this Greek word agathos as generosity. But if you look at like the NIV version, for instance, they translate it goodness, Okay. And what I think the NRSV by, is trying to do by translating this word as generosity is they're showing how this goodness that's in our heart it goes out, it flows out towards others. It's not a goodness that we keep to ourselves. It's generous, right? It makes an impact in the world. We don't keep it to ourselves. And so it's that goodness, the generous goodness that God wants for us to bear fruit. Let us look at our passage today. 1 John 1, verses 5 through 9. Let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask the next few moments, Lord, that you might be our teacher that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, that we might, by reflecting on these theological truths that are planted in our hearts, we might bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like a lot of college students, when I was in college, I didn't have much money. But I still had a sense of style. It's changed a lot. (laughs) I shopped a lot at thrift stores. I would get these shirts from the 70s. They had the pearl snap buttons on them. Amazing. And I would leave the top three buttons unbuttoned so I could show the non-existence of my chest hair. I had this beautiful, I mean, this beautiful yellow V-neck sweater. I'd wear it with nothing underneath. (laughs) The real diamond in the rough is I I found this brown pleather jacket. I looked like Al Pacino in Serpico. It was amazing. And I collected T-shirts. 
In my last year in college, I was working at the Boeing Company. I was in the major outside production department. And my favorite t-shirt at the time was this shirt from the 1970s. And it had a 707 Boeing airplane on it. And on the bottom it said, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. It was awesome. And it was a slogan that was used in the 70s to promote uh, passengers to fly on the 707 Boeing jetliner. And this shirt had been around a while, so it was like one of the, do you have a shirt like this? It's like, it was like, it'd been washed so much, it was so soft, and it had shrunk a little bit, so it was like really tight around my arms, so it looked like I had gigantic biceps. It was great. Well, after Boeing and after I graduated, I went to work for Peter. And Peter just started a company that provided durable healthcare equipment to hospice providers. And he'd been super, super successful there in the Seattle area. And one Friday night, Peter invited me to go to a concert with him. And you know, I love going to concerts, so we went. We hadn't been there long, and I noticed he's staring at me. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, dude, I love your shirt. I said, thank you. Literal, a little bit later, he goes, again, man, I, that's a really cool shirt. I know, thank you. He goes, what do you want for it? I said, the shirt is not for sale. He said, everything's for sale. I said, not this shirt. He says, I'll give you $100 for that shirt. I said, bro, not for sale. He goes, I'll give you $500 for that shirt. Buddy, not for sale. He goes, I'll give you $1,000 for it. <laughs> the only time I've ever sold an article of clothing for $1,000. <laughs> Later, I found out that he wanted to give that shirt to his dad, who was an aerospace engineer who had worked for Boeing in the 70s. And I've always been struck by Peter's generosity, about his overpaying for that T-shirt. I think for one reason he was generous because he wanted to figure out a way to get a few extra bucks in my pocket because he knew I could use it. But he also was generous getting that shirt for his dad. Do you find it challenging to be generous? When you go out to dinner, how much do you tip the server? <laughs> when you're purchasing a gift card, and no, I have not asked any of you to buy me gift cards. What's the mental calculus you do to figure out how much to put on the gift card? When the babysitter stays an extra few minutes, do you round up or do you round down? When you're coming through the line, do you leave an offering in the offering plate? Do you donate online? I'll be honest with you, I, I find it difficult. I find it a challenge to be generous. And yet, generosity again and again is seen as a virtue in Scripture. The Bible says that creation itself is kind of born out of God's generosity. That God is so generous, he creates human beings in the imago Dei, the image of God. God is so generous with us. God desires to be in relationship with us. Even time and time again, as people turn they're back on God. God is waiting generously to welcome us back. Contrary to the other pagan myths in the ancient Near East, 
Creation is done because the gods are needy. Our God is not needy, but God is generous and desires to be in relationship with us. And because God is generous with us, God calls us to be generous with one another. God does this in some very practical ways. When God gives the law to Moses, if you read in Leviticus and you make it all the way to Leviticus 23, verse 22, you'll read, God has some directions for farming practices. It reads, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. God wants the people to be generous. Those who have to give to those who do not have. And I can just imagine some of those farmers and business people, they're like, we're leaving some money on the table. What are you talking about? Don't, don't reap to the very edge. God says, be generous with those who don't have. Those who have an abundance should give to those who do not. God calls us to be generous. One of my favorite passages in the book of Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, kind of waxes at length about the generosity that he sees, the psalmist sees in creation. I could have chosen a bunch of different psalms. I just chose Psalm 104. Listen to this. Look at the generosity that the psalmist, this poet, sees at the heart of creation. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills, giving drink to every wild animal. The wild asses, sorry kids, quench their thirst. By the streams, the birds of the air have their habitation. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use, to bring forth food from the earth to, and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine and bread to strengthen the human heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has its home in the fir trees. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. See just the, the generosity that the psalmist sees at the heart of creation? That God is abundantly created, generously created. And because God is generous to us, we are called to respond with generous spirits. Now some of you, I know what you're thinking. I don't have enough to be generous. I'm barely getting by with what I got. <laughs> There's an interesting story in the Gospel of Luke. It's called The Widow's Mite, where Jesus talks about this very phenomenon. And it seems to be that even those of us who have abundance in possessions, sometimes that gets in the way of us being generous. In this story in Luke, happens at the temple where Jesus is. And the temple was arranged kind of in concentric circles. And as you got to the middle, it was the most sacred. That was where the Holy of Holies are. And the outermost ring was called the Court of Women. That's as, that's as close as the women could go. And there in the Court of Women, there were 13 kind of receptacles or shofar chests that were, they were like basically trumpets. And people would bring in their offerings and the ties that were designated to different funds, if you will. And so Luke, as he's telling this story, Jesus is kind of observing 
these people who come in to give. And listen to what Luke says. Jesus looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. She puts in two small copper coins, what are known as lepta. It took 128 lepta to equal a day's wages. And she puts in two. And yet Jesus says she has given more than all of them because she does it with a spirit of generosity. She gives out of a generous spirit, and she is an example, Jesus says, of generosity. And Jesus uses this to show the relative nature of wealth when it comes to the kingdom of God. And he commends this woman for her generous spirit, giving generously. There's a great story in the book of Corinthians where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And Paul, I don't know if you know this, was a great fundraiser. And he was not above twisting some arms to people to give. I've learned a lot from him. And he, at one point he goes to the Corinthians, he says, have you heard about the Macedonians, the Macedonian church? He said, you know, they're afflicted. They're in a lot of, guess what? They gave generously to the poor in Jerusalem. What are you going to give? What are you going to do? Are you going to let them outdo you? Come on, step up. He gets competitive with them. Are you going to be generous, he says. Those who have an abundance should give to those who are in need. Can a penny, can two lepta really make a difference? I think the generosity of small things can make a huge impact. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book on this topic called The Tipping Point. How little things can make a big difference. And he, he defines the tipping point as what he calls the moment of critical mass, the threshold, the boiling point. He says just small things can make a big difference. The whole book's about this. He gives one example that I'll highlight where he talks about the, what he calls the, and I'm sorry if you wear these, but he calls them the notoriously uncool hush puppy shoes. Okay. And he says, at one point, this became a, fashion, a worldwide phenomenon, a, a global fashion trend. He said it started in Manhattan, New York, when a few what he calls hipsters are, are opinion makers. And they decide that hush puppy shoes are cool, and they start wearing them. Then the other people see, oh, the cool people are wearing them. They must be cool. And this goes around the world. Hush puppies' sales skyrocket. Just a few people made a huge impact. He says the success of any kind of social epidemic is heavily dependent on the involvement of people with a particular rare set of social gifts. He calls this the law of the few. That's you and that's me. Part of the law of the few, just the little we give with generous spirits can make a huge impact. Economists call this the 80-20 principle. It's the idea that Usually in most social situations, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Gladwell highlights this, but he probably learned it from Jesus so many years ago, that the generosity of the few can, can make a huge impact. 
And Paul's talking to the Macedonians and the Corinthians, and Paul's talking to us. Be generous with what you have. What holds us back from being generous? I thought about that this week, and I thought, you know what? It's fear. (laughs) It's the fear of the future. Fear of scarcity. Fear that God won't provide. Fear that I'm not going to have enough. And this is why Jesus uses this example of this widow. Overcoming her fear and giving and having a generous spirit. There are a lot of, I'm going to be honest with you, there are a lot of fearful, stingy Christians these days. A few years ago, I came across an article by a theologian and author named Ron Sider. The title of the article is this, A Lot of Lattes, Stingy Christians in an Age of Opulence. I'm going to quote directly from it. He says, only a tiny fraction of American Christians tithe. If just committed Christians would tithe, there would be an extra $46 billion a year available for kingdom work. For example, and then he lists some of the things we could do. 150,000 new indigenous missionaries, 50,000 additional theological students in the developing world, 5 million more for micro loans to poor entrepreneurs, the food, clothing, and shelter for six and a half million current refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. All the money for global campaign to prevent and treat malaria. Resources to sponsor 20 million needy children worldwide. I found it astonishing when he says, 20% of all Christians give 86.4% of the total charitable donations. The 20-80 rule. Let's make sure we're a part of the 20% who have experienced the generosity of God and let that generosity flow out through how we give. How we give of ourselves, we give of our wealth, we give of our time. In the course of the 20th century, as our personal disposable income quadrupled, the percentage donated by American Christians declined. This is really sad. Because this is the exact opposite is how the early church was born. One of the questions historians and scholars ask is, how did this small fledgling group of folks in the backwoods of the Roman Empire who worshiped a guy who lived, died, and buried, and they said was raised on the third day, how did it become a global phenomenon? What's the reason? So there's this sociologist out of Baylor named Rodney Stark, and he answered this question in his book, The Rise of Christianity. And he kind of takes an economic look at what gave rise to the explosive growth of the Christian faith. And he says that there were a large number of middle and upper class Christians who were part of the early church. It wasn't just all lower class. And these Christians used their wealth. It was the generosity of these early Christians that led to what he calls an effective social welfare network of relief. He says the relief effort ministered and took care of people that the Roman Empire could care less about. The elderly, the widowed, orphans. And because they took care of these people, they showed generosity, people wanted to be a part of it. People wanted to be a part of the generosity. And it grew and it grew and it grew. And in the final chapter of his book, he makes this conclusion. The primary means of its growth was the growing numbers of Christian believers who invited their friends, relatives, and neighbors to share the good news. And at the heart of this good news were the central teachings of Christianity that prompted 
and sustained, attractive, liberating, and effective social relations and organization. It was generosity that gave rise to the early church because these people believed that God had been so generous with them, that God has been so generous with us through creation, through our community of faith, through Jesus Christ and God himself. And because of this generosity, God calls us to reflect on that generosity in our hearts, the fruit of the Spirit. And as we reflect on it and realize God's generosity with us, we will then go and be generous with one another. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you so much for the generosity you've shown us in your son, Jesus, the generosity you've shown us in creation. Lord, I pray that we might reflect on it, that it might transform our hearts, that we might respond by being generous people. Lord, that we might do the work you've called and created us for. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.